Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Marisa Lagos and Fermina Kim. Coming up on Forum, we all know that too much alcohol or fatty foods or a sedentary lifestyle can lead to heart disease. But what about that passing train, your neighbor's power drill, or a landscaper's leaf blower? Research shows that noise can take years off your life by triggering stress responses in the body that ultimately can lead to cardiovascular disease, including heart attacks. It's a problem most likely to affect impoverished communities and communities of color. In the next hour, we're going to talk about why all the noise around us is affecting your health and what we can do to quiet the world. That's next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos in Fermina Kim. In the spring of 2020, when the world locked down, something interesting happened on my San Francisco street. It got really quiet. Buses no longer ran all night. Heavy trucks halted their deliveries. Fewer people passed by. The ambient noise of the city fell. And while it was strange, it was also really nice. I slept better. So did my kids. But before that change, I hadn't even really noticed how loud things were. According to a growing body of research, though, my body knew. Scientists are increasingly demonstrating the harmful effects of noise pollution. In one study, for example, they played sporadic recordings of real sound disruptions as healthy people slept. The next morning, they found their subjects had higher adrenaline levels and increases in plasma proteins that indicate inflammation. Over time, research shows those responses can lead to inflammation overall, hypertension, and plaque buildup in arteries, all of which increase the risk of heart disease, heart attacks, and stroke. Joining me now to talk about noise pollution and how it impacts our health, I am joined by Emily Baumgartner. She's health reporter for the New York Times and was the lead reporter for their series, Noise Could Take Years Off Your Life, Here's How. Good morning, Emily. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. We are also joined by Erica Walker, Associate Professor of Epidemiology at the Brown University School of Public Health. She directs the Community Noise Lab. Hi, Erica. Hi, how are you? I'm well. Thanks for um, being here. So uh, this is something that, uh, Emily, in your reporting, you found impacts everybody. I think we tend to think of like big urban cities as, as as the problem, so to speak. But I'm wondering if you could start by just defining, like, what is noise? Like, because it is fairly subjective, right? What might be noise to some person might be just sound to somebody else. 
Right. And, and in fact, a lot of my preliminary research into this before I went out and explored the community involved talking to experts like Dr. Walker here about understanding how does, uh, how do we conceptualize the difference between noise and sound? And what I learned is that as you describe, um, noise to one person is sound to another person. And in many cases, the mechanism that causes this to affect your health is annoyance. Mm. So in some ways, it's relatively simple. If if a sound is undesired, unwanted, irritable, it moves into the territory of being considered noise. And the way it affects your body is very different than, for example, if you're at a, a rock concert that you love being at, that you enjoy every minute of, even if the decibels are the same. Yeah. I mean, Erica Walker, how does this work then? Because as I mentioned in the intro, it it could be that folks are asleep when these noises kind of intrude on them. You wouldn't think, I mean, I mean, as annoyance subconscious, like, is that something that you just have in your subconscious, even if you're not kind of listening to it and, and being aware of the annoyance? I think annoyance is just when you are like, I don't want to hear this anymore. So it could be anything. Um, well, will you talk about this subjective element? Like you study noise on the ground in communities. Are different communities impacted or annoyed, so to speak, by different sounds or noises? Yes, absolutely. And then some communities also have an acoustical expectation, like a cultural uh, acoustical footprint that they enjoy. And while some of us from the outside might come in and be like, wow, that's really loud. No, the community agrees that this is what we like and it is what we are used to. And it's something that we don't want to to turn down. Mm -hmm. So how then would you define noise? Is it is it subjective depending on the community and kind of the response they're giving you? Yes. So ultimately, I would like to when I work with communities, I would like for them to tell me what the issues are. and We go from there. So it for me, it's an individual or community defined phenomena that I am tasked with trying to address. Interesting. Emily, um, you know, we know that loud sounds could damage our hearing. What do we know? What are we learning about how what they do to our health, what they do to our bodies? Sure. So, so the general understanding at this point, and as you, you mentioned earlier, it's a, it's a growing body of research, one that will probably continue to develop and become a little more granular in our understanding. But at this point, what a lot of research together um, demonstrates is that noise affects your body the same way any other really dramatic stressor would affect your body if you think of any other stressor in your life. So there's a region of your brain called the amygdala, which appears to be sort of the entry point for some of these processes. It's sort of the stress detection center of your brain. So the noise comes through your ears. It's processed by the amygdala. The amygdala sort of evaluates it and decides, am I under threat? Am I not? You know, is this is this the sound of a gunshot or is this just the sound of my neighbor listening to music? you know, that that noise is evaluated for the threat it is to your body physically. Um, and that's a healthy process, right? That is something that our bodies do all day, every day, when we see things, when we hear things, um, when we experience interactions with people. You can feel when your amygdala is activated, your heart rate goes up, you're, you're trying to decide whether the situation you're in is comfortable or not. The problem is when this becomes a hyperactivated part of your brain, when, you know, relative to the other regions of your brain, it's overactive, it's constantly fired. Um, that can lead to some real chronic issues down the line. You know, you're having, having these types of 
effects can impact your endocrine system. As you mentioned, you're going to have too much cortisol coursing through your body, too much adrenaline, other chemicals. Um, it's also going to affect your sympathetic nervous system. When that system becomes hyperactivated, you're going to have higher heart rate, higher blood pressure. Um, it can trigger the, the production of inflammatory cells. Um, so over time, as you mentioned, this is going to lead to some of those factors that do impact people's risk of heart attack and heart disease. Yeah. Um, it's going to drive up inflammation, hypertension, some of those things you'll see, you know, whether you're someone who doesn't have a good diet, doesn't exercise well, doesn't get enough sleep, has a lot of stress in your life. It's a lot of those factors coming together and noise can be one of those contributing factors. Yeah, that's interesting because we had a show yesterday on how ultra processed foods are impacting our health. And, and, and a lot of the overlap is similar. So it probably is more than one <laughs> thing, correct? But I mean, Erica Walker, we already have a question from a listener who wants to know why communities of color are more experience more noise. Is it just that they live in more likely to live in urban areas? Um, that could be part of it, right, Erica? But it, it, that's not the only reason. I think part of it is just the the freedom to sort of choose where you live and move if you're uncomfortable as well, correct? Yes, I also think that it's it's how we've planned our cities. I think we sort of need to go back and take a step back and think about how cities have been developed, where we put people, who we put in certain places, et cetera. So I think that traditionally the most affordable areas of the city are ones that are next to the really horrible things like under um, a flight path or next to a major industrial plant mm -hmm. or next to a restaurant um, or a series of restaurants. And so we ask ourselves who can afford to live there. And that traditionally has been, you know, the, the, the poor, the, the, the vulnerable in our community. So ultimately it is a problem of poor urban planning. I mean, do you also see, though, that the reaction of policymakers and leaders tends to be different if it is an impoverished or marginalized community complaining about noise, you know, noise pollution than if it is a wealthier one? I think that generally we feel like noise is one of those first world problems. It's something that you signed up for. It's something that you asked to take part in because you wanted to live next to all of those activities. So I think overall, regardless of socioeconomic status, it's something that we just take, we don't take seriously. It's a quote unquote, first world problem. But when we look at minority communities in particular, the ones that are probably most impacted by this poor urban planning and forced to live in these areas, I think that the voice is even less important because the the people that it's coming from are just not viewed as important members of society that yeah. have something important to say. Yeah. And Emily Baumgartner, I mean, your look in the New York Times really underlined this idea that this isn't just people living in super crowded urban areas that are impacted. Can you tell us a little bit about what you found in rural America? Certainly. So it surprised me when I headed out to the field. I think I um, anticipated noticing a real difference in not only the source of noise, but the level of noise when I traveled to more suburban and rural regions. A fascinating concept I learned about through this process that there is growing research about, particularly in Europe, um, is that in some ways, the, the noise that's being experienced in more rural settings is more disruptive to people's lives. And the reason is because, as some of us can kind of intuitively experience, when you have an ambient rumble of city life, it can drown out some of those really intrusive noises. Mm. You know, if you have a siren going by, um, 
and, and you're on a busy street and you're sort of used to the worrying of the roadway, you may not notice it as much. But if you're living in a community that is relatively rural, there's a couple hundred houses and a giant freight train just tears through your town and makes the foundation of your house rumble, you're going to notice it a lot more. There's just not a lot to drown it out. And there's been a lot of research into this. The, the technical term is intermittency ratio, right? How much it offsets itself from the rest of the rest of the noise you experience in your community. But it's almost as though some forms of natural white noise can help control the impacts of noise. Whereas um, really sort of jarring noises that you experience in more rural and suburban settings can be much more irritable to people. Yeah. Um, I'm a dog lover, so I don't want to hate on dogs, but Erica Walker, <laughs> that is one of the noises that people report. And actually, ironically, this morning, my uh, most of my house was woken up at 5.30 a.m. by the next door neighbor's dog going crazy. Um, what do we know about, yeah, animal sounds and, and like things that, you know, more quote unquote natural sounds as well? Erica? Oh, okay. Sorry. I didn't know who that That's was okay. for. Um, so, yeah, you know, like uh, one of the major complaints I get from people who live in more rural areas are, you know, cries from animal, domesticated animals, you know, roosters, dogs, et cetera. So it is a it, it is it is a problem in more rural settings. It's part that's part of it. too, And in the middle of San Francisco, <laughs> because we love our dogs here. We're talking about noise and the impact it can have on our health. We've long known that noise can damage our hearing, but prolonged exposure can have even more harmful effects. I'm talking with Araba Baumgartner, health reporter for The New York Times, lead reporter on the series Noise Could Take Years Off Your Life, Here's How, and Erica Walker, associate professor of epidemiology at Brown University School of Public Health and director of the Community Noise Lab. We would love to hear from you, our listeners. Do you work in an environment where noise is a factor? How do you protect your hearing and your health? Or what noises do you find great on you? How do you find relief from them? Do you live near a noisy area like an airport or next to a construction site? And how have you handled it? Give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also send us an email to forum at kqed.org or find us on social media at KQED Forum. We will be back in just a minute. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos and Fermina Kim. We're talking about noise and the impact it can have on our health. We've long known it can damage our hearing, but we're now learning more about the damage of prolonged exposure on your body and mind. I'm here with Emily Baumgartner, health reporter for The New York Times and professor of epidemiology, Erica Walker. I know, Emily, we only have you for about 10 more minutes. So I do want to ask you a little bit about, I, I mean, the physical impacts of this are really striking, but your reporting also uncovered that there's mental health impacts, which may not be as surprising. Um, but what do they include? Like, what are we talking about when we talk about productivity or kids' abilities to, say, focus in a classroom? There's been really a remarkable amount of research that has demonstrated the effects specifically on children, on cognitive development, everything from hyperactivity to reading levels. I think one of the most sort of iconic and foundational research studies on this um, that was done in New York City decades ago showed that students on one side of a school um, had, I believe they were sixth graders, had um, a reading level about a year behind those on the other side of the school. And the only difference was the railroad track. And when um, the, the subway was given some of the features that can help silence the noise, they caught up to the exact same reading level. So a study like that helps you control for all the other variables you might think are impacting the difference in children's learning and help you see how noise is sort of in isolation a really strong factor that contributes to the degree to which children can, can focus. There's also lots of biomedical markers in children. Those studies um, done in schools near airports that open have shown increases in adrenaline levels, um, those types of markers that we also see in adults. So a lot of these effects are starting really early. Yeah. We're getting some questions. Um, Ted wants to know, do we become more used to background noise in our life over time? And if so, does the harmful effect diminish as well? Uh, Emily, do you want to take that one? Sure. So I was interested to learn through my research that um, while white noise can be useful in some environments, as we talked about earlier, generally speaking, researchers have seen a priming effect so in fact, when you've been exposed to high noise levels in the past, you may feel that you've acclimated to it, but your body is actually not habituated. Your body is more likely to react more strongly, faster to the noise because it knows the it knows that particular threat or knows that particular stressor and can react to it very quickly. Interesting. Um, Erica Walker, I'm curious, like, how much of this is, you know, there's there's the how loud something is. There's the frequency we've talked about. I mean, on the loud side of things, is that really important? Like what sound is too loud for health? You know, I always like to kick that question back to the individual. I always say whatever they define as, a, whenever they move from the threshold of it being a sound to noise, that's when we need to to start paying attention. So it's whatever sound it is, regardless of its loudness, regardless of its frequency, composition, it's when it sets off that flight or fight or stress response. That's what we should be worried about the health impacts. Yeah. And I mean, Emily Baumgartner, you guys have some really interesting interactive kind of charts in your story looking at decibel ranges. So uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Like what's the decibel for a hairdryer versus an airplane or traffic noise? And is that, you know, important when we talk about the research around these ill effects? It's a great question. So decibels or, you know, general perceived loudness of a noise is an important metric. It's not the only important important metric, but it's the one that most research has been 
done on. So we have the best data on decibels compared to something like the frequency or the duration or some of those other sort of traits that you think of when you think of a sound. Um, generally speaking, um, decibels range from, you know, a, a really, really quiet room is going to be close to zero decibels, whereas an extremely loud noise that's painful and damaging to your ears up at 120 or 140 decibels, that's more like a gunshot or a firecracker that's very close by. Um, but there's a whole range of things um, that fall within that range. You mentioned a hairdryer. Um, we tested a hairdryer on our own because the the data was different depending on how far away you are, which hairdryer it is, how powerful it is. And we detected close to 100 decibels um, for a hairdryer in close range. Um, that's even higher than a busy street, of mm. course, because it's closer to your head. So it, it depends on where you are in proximity to the noise, et cetera. Something I would want to mention, though, about decibels, it sort of takes you back to high school math. This is a logarithmic scale. It's not a linear scale. What that means is that when you add 10 decibels, it's not just adding a fraction of noise. It's actually uh, essentially doubling the, the sound level in your ear. So it's important to keep that in mind, that if you're in one location and it's 50 decibels and you move to another and it's 60, that doesn't seem like a big difference, but it's about a doubling of noise levels. So you can see why a few decibels change in your environment can have major impacts on your experience of that noise. Yeah, absolutely. I am counting down the days until the construction across from my house is done, for one. <laughs> um, uh, we have a question. Um, not surprising. Restaurants are coming up. Um, Jean writes, one of my biggest noise complaints is noisy restaurants. I've been told restaurants are designed to make them sound noisier because people like that. But what happens is that as the noise level rises, everyone speaks louder until it's impossible to hear anyone. I wish restaurants were designed to dampen, not amplify noise. Erica Walker, I mean, is that the same thing we're talking about as maybe more intermittent sounds that are part of your everyday life? Because obviously a restaurant, I mean, I feel Jean, I've been in those situations too, but it is also something where you are going in for a set amount of time and then leaving. Like, does that make a difference? I think so. I think when you opt into something, you opt into it. Um, but then I also think about the people in the restaurant, but I also think about the people outside of the restaurant that live in areas of our city that force them to live near restaurants because they're cheapest or they create these sort of urban planning practices where they have mixed use, where they put people on top of restaurants. I kind of think about them too, because they're not, if they have opted into them, it's probably because it's the most affordable option. Mm. So, you know, when you go to a restaurant, you know, you, you, you know what you're signing up for, but when you don't have any other choice, but to, you know, to, um, to live above a restaurant or live next to restaurants because it's the cheapest place in town. I think it's, it's another conversation. Absolutely. Um, all right. I know Emily, you have to go. So I will say thank you. Emily Baumgartner is health reporter for the New York times and lead reporter for the New York times series. Noise could take years off your life. Here is how thanks for joining us and all your work. Thanks for having me. This has been great. Um, I want to go to one of our callers. Um, and uh, his name is John, and he's in San Francisco. Good morning. Hey. What's How on your you? mind? I heard you last night on a replay. Uh, Marissa Lagos, right? <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yeah. Uh, well, here's the deal with noise. Uh, I drove a diesel truck for 35, 40 years. Oh, wow. And uh, back and forth to L.A. locally, 
they're very loud, right? They're yeah. unbelievably loud diesel trucks, and and you hear them all day long because you're either idling or you're on the road. So it, Teamsters hate noise when they retire. I'm retired now. I'm 86 years old, and uh, in this neighborhood I live in, in, in the intersection of uh, Stockton and Vallejo in, in Chinatown, mm-hmm. people love to blow their horns. Oh my gosh! And they love it. You know, and, and they not to they mention the motorcycles the, the and the loud arm. cars. Yeah. Oh my God, it's horrible! And my window faces uh, right out there with all the noise coming in. So do what you, I do is open the window, lean out, and scream and yell at these people. And I got a loud <laughs> voice, believe me. And every in every case, it's never failed. They listen when I tell them how 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 horrible the noise they're making is, because when people get behind the wheel of a car, their personality changes. They get powerful. Uh, they love noise. They love to blow the horn. Yeah, John, can I ask you? Do you ever use earplugs? Pardon me. Do you ever use earplugs? Why? I don't know. Why would I want to do that? <laughs> I want to hear what's happening in the neighborhood. I don't I, you know. know. I, I pay attention to our neighborhood. All right. Well, so I, I want to hear everything. All right. Well, we appreciate it. And if you're driving by Vallejo and Stockton and someone's screaming at you, it's 86-year-old former te- Teamster uh, diesel driver, John. Um I want to bring in another guest to respond to this. Les Blomberg is founder and director of the Noise Pollution Clearinghouse. They're a nonprofit that advocates for the reduction of noise in the world and around us. Les, thanks for being here. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, Your thoughts on John's approach to (laughs) just screaming at people, I guess creating more noise potentially. Well, you know, uh, a couple things. Uh, You know, it probably isn't the most effective approach you know noise is really a community problem you can only reduce noise as a community you know, and that's because it only takes one noise polluter to disturb the peace mm-hmm. and so it's something we have to come together to, to solve and so you know that's one aspect of it i think we really have to do it through policy through legislation through laws through regulations the second thing is that you know using earplugs in some sense while it may help him in that case, really is, in, in my mind, a case of blaming the vip- victim. Because you're, you're like, like, like John said, you know, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to plug my ears? I want to still talk to the people in my house. I still want to, you know, do other things to communicate with others. Uh, listen to the music I'm listening to, stuff like that. Yeah. So, so the solution, I think, is that we have to do it as a community. We need some some better policy around noise. Yeah. I mean, Erica Walker, is there a downside if you want to wear earplugs? So, like, I often wear them to sleep. I've sort of, I think, gotten addicted to it in a way because my former house was so, so loud at night. I don't, and, you know, so, like, minus the hygiene part, making sure that you keep your ears clean, I think <laughs> it's a pretty cheap, low-cost, effective way to just mitigate some of the most, most annoying aspects of what you're exposed to. But I agree with Les, like, why am I forced to to, ma- to make this extra step right. when I'm not the one causing the issue? So I have to agree with Les there. Yeah. Well, we have a listener who weighs in on something similar. They say, nothing's more stressful than sitting in the peace and quiet of your apartment and getting blasted by another tenant's music and a landlord who will do nothing. It takes a toll because you know you can't count on the peace and quiet, so you can't really calm down or settle in. I think this is a little different than the ambient noise of urban living because it's completely within the control of the person who's creating it and the greedy landlord who's not evicting the tenant who insists on creating it. 
Uh, maybe stopping short of getting into evicting somebody for noise. Does either of you want to respond to that? I will say, Grace, that this is actually how I got into <laughs> to noise work. Oh, like really? uh, before I got into before I became an assistant professor of epidemiology at Brown, I was uh, a, a starving artist. I made uh, furniture and, and I was a book binder. And so one day this family moved in above me with with two small kids that used to run across their floor, which was like my ceiling for 24 hours a day. And in the process of trying to get them evicted, I realized that there was really no legal place to turn to. I saw this thing in my lease that said uh, the right to quiet enjoyment. And I realized it had nothing to do with getting your neighbors to be quiet. So this is act- that that experience actually got me into it's it. it uh, I sold off all my equipment and then turned into a noise researcher. I love it. <laughs> the Genesis story. Well, let's bring in another caller. Paula and Berkeley, go ahead. Hi, thanks so much for this great conversation. I just wanted to add on to the comment that what's noise to you can be pleasant to someone else. My son just moved back in with us and we have an in-law unit downstairs and he loves to watch television. I never watch television. And I find that just the noise of the television is just grating on my nerves, so much so that we've actually looked into getting additional insulation between the floors because I can't take it. And I'm a reasonable person, so I know that he has the you know right to use his television and watch it. But it's just so interesting how much my sleep has suffered and all sorts of things that I'm not cognizant of, um, you know, in the moment uh, that are really impacting me. So this has been a really informative conversation. Yeah, thanks for the call, Paula. Um, Liz, I want to ask you about sensitivity. Lauren writes, my daughter's eight years old, and over the past few years, I've noticed she's extraordinarily sensitive to noise. A few weeks ago, we went bowling, and the bowling alley was very loud. Her body completely reacted. She curled up into a little ball and had a very severe fight or flight reaction. Are kids more sensitive to noise? I mean, Les, this it's not just kids, right? This is definitely different people react differently. Sure. I mean, you, you've talked a fair bit about the subjectivity of of, of people and and there is a variation in people on, on how they respond to noise that we some people i think hear noise louder than others uh, somewhere in the connection between the ear and the brain um you know different people are wired differently um that said um there is a really a very clear objective aspect to noise too noise has clear objective health impacts as the, the caller just mentioned it can interfere with your sleep. It can interfere with your communication. It can interfere, you know, it can, it can lead to these stress-related hormones and, and stress, stress response that we've talked about. So while there are different responses to different people, there are, from different people, there are very clear objective responses to noise also. Yeah. I mean, Erica Walker, there are people who are extraordinarily sensitive, right? I mean, this goes beyond maybe some of what we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yes, there's people that are extraordinarily sensitive. They're the ones that are usually calling less or myself (laughs) trying to to get help. But yeah, but Grace, I wanted to say something though. Like, Like, it's really great to hear the callers, but I'm also thinking about the people who aren't calling in and thinking about the people who don't feel empowered to do anything about the sounds that are happening, that are negatively Im- impacting their health. Um, I, you know, I just, I, I want to just make sure we kind of keep those people in the back of our mind as well. Mm, thanks. Um, 
One thing I know you've studied are the impact of airport noise in Boston. And we have a couple comments. Somebody says, every time the Blue Angels make their appearance in San Francisco, I take cover. The noise is meant to scare, and it does. I've never lived in a war zone and had to fight or had to fight in a war. I pity those who do and wish San Francisco would stop this yearly multi-day plague. And John says, I live in Sunnyvale and have lived in my house for 30 years. In 2017, the Federal Aviation Administration implemented the NextGen program and now commercial aircraft fly by GPS. In 2017, the commercial aircraft started flying on a rail over my house, and it is very stressful. These commercial aircraft fly over and shake my house. The next gen is a problem in lots of homes near airports all over the nation. Emily or Erica Walker, is that something uh, you're familiar with, or do you just want to talk generally about plane noise and what that does? Oh, yes. So I've worked with plenty of communities near airports, especially in in Boston. And, you know, one of the really weird things that I kind of uncovered from that work is that, you know, when they, you know, a lot of the people who live near airports or some people are eligible for soundproofing. But the criteria that they use to determine who gets soundproofing is based on a metric, the A-weighted decibel, um, that just sort of assumes that the, 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 the noise that's important is the noise that you process through your auditory system. But when you hear some of the stories from people that live near airports, it's like it's it's shaking my house. Like mm-hmm. I can feel it reverberating in my chest. So one of the things we tried to do but were, were unsuccessful was if you looked at a different metric, one that took into account more of the frequency composition of what you experience when an airplane flies over your house, who additionally would be eligible for the soundproofing criteria. Um, Unfortunately, like I said, it fell on deaf ears. But yeah, like I feel like a lot of the metrics that we use when we determine what's harmful when it comes to sound that comes from aircraft is very primitive. So Mm -hmm. when you're thinking about something that can shake your house, is the auditory system the only way that you're processing that kind of sound? Absolutely. We are talking about noise and the impact it can have on our health. We've long known that noise can damage our hearing, but prolonged exposure can actually have more harmful effects. And after the break, we're going to get into maybe some solutions. Uh, Here with me is Erica Walker, Associate Professor of Epidemiology at the Brown University School of Public Health and Director of the Community Noise Lab. And Les Blomberg, he is founder and director of the Noise Pollution Clearinghouse, a nonprofit that advocates for the reduction of noise in the world around us. Do you live or work in an environment where noise is a factor? Have you ever complained about noise? What's the response been? Do you have questions for our experts about maybe ways to push policies that could quiet down our world? You can give us a call at 866-733-6786. You can also send us an email to forum at kqed.org or find us on social media. We're at KQED Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos and Fermina Kim. We'll be right back after a short break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Mina, or here for Mina Kim. Uh, we're talking about noise and its impact on your health with Erica Walker, professor of epidemiology, and Les Blomberg. He is director and founder of the Noise Pollution Clearinghouse. They're a nonprofit that advocates for the reduction of noise in the world around us. We're getting a lot of calls. I want to bring in Tiffany first from San Francisco. Tiffany, go ahead. Hi, um, I'm a school teacher. Um, in San Francisco, I teach first graders. And um, I've noticed in the past couple of years since we came back from pandemic that children are really, really, really loud. Um, in the <laughs> I've noticed that just in general, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's really distinctly different from pre-pandemic to, um, to now. We also have a lot of children who suffered a lot of crisis during the time, mm-hmm. and so, or at least in my sector where I work, and so there's a lot of screaming out and um, things like that, and it really impacts the learning, and I'm really interested in what Professor Walker might say about that, yeah. given that other study about the train tracks, um, you know, what she might have noticed on noise levels in classrooms and how that impacts uh, learning. Yeah. Thank Tiffany, you. what grade I'll do you teach? Off the air. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Can first I first grade. I'm a primary, primary K2, but I yeah. am teaching... Um, so I'd imagine that age especially was impacted by the pandemic. They didn't have that time in preschool necessarily, you know, to, to kind of get, I have, I have well, a kid going to second and grade. Also they were, yeah. I mean, they were also um, really left alone with um, basically YouTube, um, but they were left alone with devices. Yeah. Many, many children. That was the only childcare parents had, yeah. you know? Um, and so I think they just, I don't know. I, I just, I'm really interested in what, what yeah. she has to say about that because I've just noticed it in my sector of where I work in San Francisco. Yeah, um, and I'm a 25 year veteran, so I've okay. seen kids over the years change, you know, mm-hmm. but this has been dramatic. Well, thanks, Tiffany. Erica Walker, what do you think? So, yeah, I have a bunch of different stories to share about that. And I'll do, I'll be very brief. No, go so, for there it. was a, there was a very, there was a significant population of black and brown students who during COVID were actually, when the world was supposed to be quiet, they were actually inundated with this random occurrence of um, firework activity. So during that time, not only was it not quiet, there was just incessant firework activity throughout the summer of 2020, which like really negatively impacted them. It, it set off a lot of PTSD. So I actually saw that during COVID, like a lot of kids, when they were at home, they were studying at home, they were at home pretty much throughout the daytime in particular during school that in addition to trying to, you know, get their lessons in, there was like firework activity going on in the background. So much so that the city of Boston had to enact a fireworks task force where parents, teachers, um, concerned residents kind of convened to talk about what they were going to do about that. And then another thing is that I also saw that a lot of, you know, because people were at home, a lot of families depended on entertainment devices to keep children occupied. And that's how a lot of lessons were delivered. Kids were putting things on their ears and they were turning the volume up. So we we have been measuring the hearing health of children 
um, in high school and below in middle school and high school. And we've saw, seen a decline in hearing at that at the age where their hearing should be perfect. So I'm seeing that. But then I'm also just seeing, too, that um, the, the, the world of COVID was just a very stressful time. And I think pe people are I do see that students are are just louder. They just I don't I don't know what they're reacting to, but I don't know. I just I just wanted to share those two yeah, no. aspects that. Yeah. Does that, does that make sense? Like, oh, yeah. yeah I mean, I also wonder just in general what screens and, and the accompanying noise that goes with it have kind of done to our brains, even if it's not too loud, so to speak. But I'm glad you brought up fireworks, because if you live in a city like San Francisco, as I do, I mean, this has become a real issue in recent years. And it's not just around July 4th, although it usually gets really bad around that. Um, uh, Les Blomberg, what can we do? Like, who do we complain to? What is there any recourse for? Obviously, fireworks is one aspect of this, but uh, everything we're talking about. Sure. Well, with respect to fireworks, I think I think one thing that's changed is that it, they have become more ubiquitous. Um, when yeah. when I was younger, it was the Fourth of July. Yeah. And that was it, and and it was an exciting thing for all the kids to do. Um, growing up in the '60s, but. Now, you know, even in the small town that I live in, we've got the 4th of July. We've got the, you know, baseball team. We've got another festival that each has it. So it becomes, it's become more of a common thing. Now, with respect to what to do about it and what to do about noise in general, um, you know, our philosophy is that good neighbors keep their noise to themselves and that, you know, that, that noise is really kind of a test as to whether you know how to live in a community and not impose yourself on others. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people are failing that test. And like I was mentioned earlier, you know, my being quiet isn't going to necessarily make my neighborhood quiet. And that's where we need regulations. And unfortunately, we need those regulations at every level of government. We need them at the federal level because a lot of products get used everywhere, um, airplanes, cars, things like that. Um, we need it at the local level because, you know, you may have a dog that's barking right next to my house or I may be mowing my lawn at, you know, four in the morning or five in the morning or something like that. And so there's there, there are, you know, we've, we kind of need to uh, have regulations. Unfortunately, what those regulations do is usually just eliminate the worst offenders, right? That there is, with respect to noise, a, a very big aspect of civility involved. It's, it has to do with how we treat our neighbors. And we really do have to focus on being conscious of our imposing on our neighbors. Yeah. I'm going to bring in a caller. Uh, Natella, go ahead. Hi. Hey. Um, I'm a, I, I study noise, the effects of noise exposure on balance. Oh. And so... Um, I just wanted to call in about a couple things. One, to just to add that um, that's another aspect where we don't think about noise affecting us, but effects on balance can cause falls and injury and, and just a variety of, of problems. But also doing this research has been eye-opening for me because I've realized how little people realize that they are constantly exposed to noise um, and just... 
you know, we, we say you come in, we, we want to test you, we think you're exposed to noise, and they'll say, no, I'm not. I'm just surrounded by a little blender noise all, all day mm-hmm. or something like that. And, and you know, to them, that's not an accumulation of noise. And there's the decibel aspect where, you know, every time you go by up by 10, that, that doubles your noise exposure. But there's also the duration and the lifetime accumulation of noise that, you know, I think people maybe don't think about quite as much in terms of the direct insult to the ear that they receive. Yeah. Well, thank you. Appreciate your call. Um, Erica, Larry writes, I've lived next to a dance club in San Francisco for four years now. It was like heaven when the pandemic happened and the club was closed for a year. Unfortunately, the place renovated and reopened late last year. The sound is loud enough to shake my walls on Thursday and Friday until 2 a.m. I hate it, but I can't afford to move. I don't know why anyone would need to play music so loudly or why the city allows what I deem harassment. Um, Erica, your response, I I, I know, you know, uh, some people might say, oh, well, you moved in next to a dance club. But like that doesn't feel very compassionate or fair, especially when somebody can't afford to move as 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 Larry says. You know, unfortunately, I wish I could say that um, that it was going to be an easy battle to mitigate that. But like as Les was saying, there's really, no, you know, like there's stuff on the books, but kind of not on the books. So it's like, you know, there's. So it's just one of those things that, I don't know, I just, it's, like I said, we have very poor urban planning practices in our cities. People don't listen when you say this is negatively impacting our health. People, when they hear that it's a, it's a, it's a club or it's an activity that's bringing in money, they're not going to want to mitigate it because it's going to be, it's going to mean loss of revenue. So it's just a lot of things that he's dealing with. My best advice would be (laughs) to get to move. Yeah. Um, uh, Les, I want to get you to react to this next call. Bill in Sebastopol, go ahead. Hi. Um, a previous caller talked about uh, having getting regulations on the books. There are plenty of regulations in the California uh, Code uh, for uh, automobiles about noise and about having a proper muffler installed and, and uh, as a side issue usually the also means they've taken away the the catalytic converter so they're polluting our air as well but they are assaulting us with noise mm-hmm. motorcycles are absolutely the worst but cars are, are the same way uh, and particularly young guys in diesel trucks that they strip the the mufflers out of it and then they put a chip in to you know puke yeah. out as much black smoke as possible because they think that's cool when I, when I was a boy, <laughs> I, I can remember getting pulled over, not my vehicle, but I was riding with a kid and he had too loud a, a muffler. The, the local police pull us over. And, you know, it, laws used to be enforced that um, that would mitigate some of this. And what I don't understand is why uh, CHP and local sheriffs and and uh, city cops don't enforce noise pollution laws that are on the books now. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Uh, Les, what do you think? Well, your caller just nailed it, that that there are two things about noise regulations that you need. One is you need good laws. And two is you need good enforcement. And that, you know, even bad laws with good enforcement are probably usually better than good laws with no enforcement. <laughs> and so it, it is a combination of both mm-hmm. having well-written laws 
and regulations and having good enforcement. And, you know, why, you, you know, I, I, I think California in general fails more often than not on both of those. That, um, you know, the, the caller didn't mention some of the, the laws on the books, but they're still not that good. They're not that protective of people. And um, obviously his experience is they're not being enforced. Yeah. So it seems like both of those are happening. This is Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos, and today for Mina Kim. All right, I want to bring in another caller. John in Placer County, go ahead. Hi. Um, I have a little bit different attitude about noise. I've always been a source of noise. And to me, um, not only do I have a right to make noise, if it's in defense of artistic expression, uh, having been a rock drummer, having had multiple hernia operations from being a loud, semi-professional trumpeter. And I'm also a licensed building contractor, and I, I take so much joy in not only the music, but the work I do. And part of it is not making gratuitous, unnecessary noise, like your last caller was describing, but making noise in service of artistic expression and productivity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm in my 60s, and I've had some hearing damage, but... It's really annoying to hear people complain about noise when I have a building permit and I'm improving someone's property or, you know, if, if, if my band happens to be really super loud and a lot of people are enjoying the the noise we're making, or I mean music. And so I think it's on the noise complainers to protect their hearing with hearing protectors and I actually have a duty to make noise because I'm rather good at it over the years, and I've always enjoyed it. And, yes, I live right next to the Union Pacific Railway, and uh, I enjoy the trains. All right. Yeah. John, thank you for the call. Um, uh, Erica Walker, I mean, what's your thoughts on on that? And also the question, I mean, specifically construction noise, like he he brought up productivity. I mean, we're in a state where we have a huge sort of housing, a lot of push to build. Um, And I could see, you know, the argument on the other side that people could use this kind of of as NIMBYs to keep out construction and things like that. Yeah, I've seen that. It's part of the reason why when I, with Community Noise Lab, I'm not necessarily pro-quiet. I am pro-peace. So the caller would have a right to express and bring to the table his demands, his perspectives, and the people that are offended by him also have the right to bring their issues and demands to the table. And we don't necessarily work towards an end goal of quiet but one of peace, which means he's going to have to give up some of his stuff too. And the community may have to give up some of their things too, but we're not working towards necessarily, you know, quiet could be one of the negotiations of the peace uh, of of the, of peace, but it may not necessarily be the end goal. So in that perspective, I think that his voice is is very valid and very legitimate. And as we try to um, create more peaceful environments in our communities. Les, Dan has a question. I live in Sunnyvale, also related to construction noise, I should say. I live in Sunnyvale next to a major expressway off Highway 101 and next to a Caltrain station. About a year ago, construction began for a major housing project. Each day, there's the sound of hammers and night, he says. Nail guns, electric saws, trucks backing up, street sweepers, cars and motorcycles speeding, and Caltrain bells and horns. And the trains... Uh, that stop at the station, shake my townhouse. I have to keep my windows shut to keep exhaust fumes and dust out. What can I do to advocate for myself and alert the city of Sunnyvale for support? 
as a work from home employee, this daily mixture of noise has definitely decreased my quality of life. And I'm glad he brought up Les Bomberg work from home because I do think that that has impacted some people too, right? That you're not going to an office. Um, you're in your neighborhood where all this stuff is happening. Right. I think that's one of the things that the pandemic did is that it made us realize what we have done to our neighborhoods and, and the noise we, because now, now we're there all the time or we were at least and some people still are as opposed to uh just in the evenings now with respect to construction noise is a harder thing to deal with because it tends to be temporary it tends to have um um you know uh uh you know a, a social benefit in that we are um you know improving the community where other types of noise are just plain you know you know, the, the the sound of the motorcycle revving on the street. That's just somebody liking to hear the sound of their motorcycle. And so, you know, dealing with the construction noise is a little harder. Communities do do that. They, they, uh, New York City has regulations on construction noise. Again, most communities do. You regulate it by the time of day. You don't let them do it, start it too early or go too late. Um, and, in, you know, so like, and there's always quieter equipment. There are, there is always a quieter option. And in our country, we just have not been choosing it. And we need to choose quiet. We need to choose the quieter option with, with respect to, to construction, with respect to lawn equipment, with respect to our cars, our motorcycles, our trucks, yeah. all our vehicles. Yeah. Um, less than two minutes left in the hour, but I'm curious, um, are either of you watching any policy debates, any legislation, anything that folks who are, um, you know, hoping to quiet the world a little could could weigh in on and support less? Yeah, well, I mean, the big thing that's coming up right now is the Federal Aviation Administration is updating its aviation noise policy. Comments are due on July 31st. To the FAA, I think if you just search FAA noise, aviation noise policy, um, and it hasn't been updated since the 70s. Wow. It is way out of date. The standards are way too permissive. And um, that that is a, a major thing on my plate for the next month is, is working on that. Erica, just a, a couple seconds left. Anything you would suggest people do or advocate for? Yep. So noise doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's usually associated with other types of air pollution, like water pollution, air pollution, mm -hmm. soil quality, visual pollution. So for me, I'm focusing on sort of looking at the bigger picture. How does noise fit in the overall environmental uh, pollutant landscape? That was Erica yep. Walker at the Brown University School of Public Health. She directs the Community Noise Lab there. Thank you, Professor Walker. Thank you for having me. Les Blomberg was with us as well, founder and director of the Noise Pollution Clearinghouse. They're a nonprofit that advocates for the reduction of noise in the world around us. You can probably Google them as well. Thanks, Les. Thank you very much. Earlier, we had Emily Baumgartner. She's a health reporter for The New York Times. Check out her series, Noise Could Take Years Off Your Life, and Here's How. Thanks to all our guests and listeners for their comments. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos, and for Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.